It's Daily Thunder, the truth of Jesus Christ dished out live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado with a bit of manly grit and gusto. Find out more at live.ellerslie.com. Now here's Eric Lutie. All right, so we're doing another one of our heroic tales. Uh, This one is called Entrusted. Uh, I went back and forth, had quite a few different titles for this one. I know, and I, I overthink titles, probably most people think that, but I, titles to me are uh, of very great importance because that's how I remember all my messages. So I have uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of messages, and oftentimes all it takes is a title and I'll remember it. So when you'll, you'll be talking with me, it's like, yeah, there's a message, and I'll give you a title of a message, which is like a bucket which holds certain key thoughts. And so when I am wanting to revisit those thoughts, I'll go back to those buckets and I'll dump out everything I have and move it around and see what I've had in the past and then add to it. And so titles are very, very significant to me. I like this title, Entrusted. Uh, It went in a different direction than I originally anticipated uh, because I was thinking about the concept of being made strong uh, in this. Instead, I emphasized the entrusted part, which I think is going to be appropriate for this. But our uh, case study today is uh, a character you may know of. His name is David. Uh, He's the shepherd king is how I describe him. And each of these heroic tales goes into a uh, sort of a brief study, a brief uh, thought in regards to a key character in biblical history. And they're not an in-depth study, but the goal is to lift out a truth out of their life and then to apply it to ours. In other words, it's not just to give some good history, it's actually to uh, give us some good meat to chew on so that we can actually be altered. So, uh, 1 Samuel 16, now I'm skipping a lot of good stuff. I love the, the topic of, of David, and he's one of my favorite guys to teach on, and this next week I'm going to have an entire message that is called Five Smooth Stones that will be focused on David. So I'm not going to steal uh, thunder from that, but I want to bring up uh, at least one concept of David's life here. Thus Jesse, who is David's father, made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. So Samuel's come to town, to Bethlehem, everyone's afraid, you know, because why, why is the mighty prophet coming? Is he coming to bring judgment? And he assures them he is not. He's come to make sacrifices unto Jehovah. And he consecrates the family of Jesse and says, come with me. And so uh, he's at first convinced that it's going to be Eliab, the firstborn son of Jesse, that's going to be the anointed king of Israel. I mean, it's just obvious to him. And God says, nope, you're looking at the outside. I look at the inside. This guy doesn't have the stuff. And then he has Amidadab, a pastor, the secondborn, thirdborn, fourthborn, uh, all the way through the seventhborn. And God basically says, no, 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 to all of them. And then Samuel says, is there another? So that's, that's where we're at here. The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men here? Then he said, well, there remains yet the youngest. And there he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and bright eyes, with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So it's a significant statement. I think a lot of us 
have the premise point that you know, all Jews had the spirit of the Lord upon them. And uh, this is a very, very significant thing that is happening, which sets David apart in a profound way. It's interesting also, because uh, we, we recognize that a king is an anointed one. And so he is anointed, and that is actually the term of Christos too. It's the, it's the, uh, it's the anointing oil which comes out of a ram's horn uh, that is poured onto both the king and the priest of Israel. They are anointed, or the spirit of God is upon them. And the next line is actually going to say, and uh, but the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. So it's interesting, right? As a contrast, you see uh, the same spirit that is. Uh, anointed Saul up to this point actually is uh, removed and it comes upon David for the purpose of being a king. And so what we see is that David is entrusted with something. In the New Testament, we would understand this as a deposit of grace. And you're, you're going to notice that the, the parables that Jesus shares over and over again, he's going to say the kingdom of heaven is like this. He's going to talk about a king who is going to entrust something to his people, and then he's going to go away. And this trust, so a lot of people like finance, Christian financial counselors are going to look at like the talents and the minas, and they're going to say, okay, you have some money and you need to learn how to invest it, which is not a bad thought. I think we should be wise with our resource, but the kingdom of heaven is frying bigger fish than these, you know, your financial uh, bank account and investment portfolio. God has given you something. He's entrusting you with something. The question is, what are you going to do with it? David is entrusted with something, and what he does with it is quite profound. David is entrusted with something, and he invests it. So he goes back out. He's sent back out to, the, to tend the sheep, which is quite a statement, which we'll talk about next week. Uh, that's the lowest place in all of Israel. Here he is, the highest one in all of Israel. He's just been anointed king, and his family doesn't seem to really recognize it. And so he's immediately sent out to do the lowest task, even in his own family, let alone in the nation. Being a shepherd is, is right at the bottom. But when he's out there, he actually is exercising this newfound power and strength that he has. And so a lion comes after his sheep, and what does he do? He goes after it and grabs it by the mane, breaks its jaw, and takes back what belongs to him. A bear comes, what does he do? He goes after the bear. You see, this is the freshly anointed David who is doing what good kings do. He's protecting his sheep. So what you see is David is exercising that which he is given. He is entrusted with something, and then he is utilizing that which he is entrusted with. And what you're going to see is his his pasture is going to expand. He's going to go from having a few sheep to having a nation of sheep. The principle of increase. Prove faithful with little, and you'll receive more. So this is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is over and over going to say, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto, and he's going to show that someone is going to receive little, and then what they do with that little is going to define if they get more or not. And for those that take the little that they have and bury it, they lose it. And so for us as Christians, we oftentimes miss the profound application that that is to our life. And so we oftentimes think of those parables, like I said, dealing with money as opposed to grace. 
You have been given something. You've been given all that you need for life and godliness. You've been given everything that you need to live life abundantly, triumphantly, with joy, with peace. You have been given everything you need to be a thoroughfare of love to this world. You've been given everything you need to be able to offer forgiveness to those that have harmed you. So what are you doing with it? Are you burying it or are you exercising it? Because when you bury it, you lose it. But when you exercise it, it increases. And this is how faith works too. So when you have a little faith, I would say a penny of faith, and it might not be much, but you have a penny. And that's more than you had before because suddenly you're like, God's real. He, he is there. He did do this for me. Well, what do you do with that penny? Well, you need to invest it in Jesus Christ. You need to give yourself wholly to it. You need to trust that he will prove faithful to you, that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. So what do you do? You stick your penny on the line. You say, I'm gonna trust God with that penny. And what happens? You get 10 bucks of faith back. You see, when you take your little faith and you stick it in God, who is faithful, it proves his faithfulness to your soul and it increases your faith. And so the principle of increase is to take the little you have and to invest it in the God who is able to increase it. So when you take the little that he has given you and you bury it, you lose it. And so this is just simply called the principle of increase. And he said to him, well done, good servant, because you were faithful in very little, have authority over 10 cities. So because this servant was faithful with little, suddenly this servant is being entrusted with something quite grand, being over 10 cities. His Lord said unto him, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Principle, principle of increase. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And so as a principle or a rule of increased authority, this is how a parent works. A parent is going to see their children and is going to measure them in small spheres. Like a child is given a little blanket. It's like, you stay on this little blanket, oh little pumpkin doodle dandy. And if that, if that little child learns to stay faithful in the territory that they're entrusted, well guess what? Well then you could give them a room. You give them a room with the door open, but then, and you monitor on them, but then as they prove faithful in that room, what do you do? You're willing to close the door and even remove the monitor. Could you imagine that? And see, this is what every parent goes through. Why? Because that child is proving faithful with little. They are increasing in your trust. And as a result, they are able to be responsible for more. It's just how good parenting works, right? And so in the church of Jesus Christ, one of the statements that Paul uses is he's talking about the fact that do not stick someone over the church who has not proven faithful in his own family. See, if someone is not, if, if his children are not being cared for well and he is not proving strong in his own home, well, then don't stick him over the church. But if he is proving strong in his home and his children are showing respect and regard for him, well, then he's ruling his home well, well, then by this very principle, he was faithful in what is least, is faithful also in much. Then the same, by the same pattern, he could do well in the church. And so how do you prove that someone's ready to rule a church? By the fact that they rule their own family well. Well, how do you prove so, that someone's ready to have a family? By the fact that they rule their own body well. And so if you're not ruling your own body well, your thought life, your sexuality, your appetites, your desires, well then you shouldn't be put 
in charge of a family. Simple rule of thumb, if someone comes to you and says, hey, do you think I'm ready for marriage? The, one of the great questions would be, well, are you ruling your body well? How are you handling your thought life? You see, these are the pr first proving grounds. And when you, when you prove faithful in the first proving grounds, you are ready to prove faithful in a greater proving ground. And when you're proving strong in those, well, guess what? Your capacity continues to increase and you become ready to do big things in this world. The surprising starter cash, and to one he gave five talents, which is, by the way, a lot. So if you're getting five talents of gold, it's like, wow, uh, this is starter cash, but what are you gonna do with it? In other words, you've been given something, it's called grace, okay? It's not just, because some of you are like, if I did have money, boy, I, that's what I would really want. And what you get instead is something far superior to money. You get power to do, power to live, power to operate according to the kingdom principles, power to operate in agreement with the nature of God. You've been given that. Now, maybe it's not the full measure of what the Holy Spirit can bring to a life, and I've said that to you guys in the past, that little Reese, who's seven, technically, by adoption, has entered into my family, and he has right to my entire estate. Now, the Eludi estate is not that impressive, okay? So when you use the word estate, it sounds grander than it is. But the Ludi estate includes all sorts of things that Reese rightfully could say, yeah, that's mine. That's mine by inheritance. That's mine. That, that's mine too. And so we have a riding lawnmower, and Reese could say, yep, and that riding lawnmower is mine. You know, so his buddy comes over, and he could brag that that riding lawnmower is his, and he would be correct, right? However, his buddy could say, so do you use it? And then he'd have to awkwardly say, no, my daddy doesn't let me. I thought you said it was yours. Well, but I'm just seven. So Reese has not yet gained the opportunity or the right to use the riding lawnmower. Now, he could be getting close, right? He's right at that cusp. But he has to prove faithful with smaller things, and then daddy will tr entrust him with a big power tool. Okay? And so you don't entrust a big power tool to an irresponsible child. And the same is true with the kingdom of heaven. So many of us, we, we enter the kingdom of heaven, and we say, the whole thing is ours, when we're right. We have access to all the throne of grace, and we're right. However, we're entrusted with something. And the question is, what are we doing with the something that we've received? So when we've received something, we need to exercise that something so that it can increase. What to do, what to do. You've been given starter cash. Could be five talents of grace. What should one do with this amazing entrustment of strength? So I, now part of that's just a logic uh, question. If, if you've been given the talents of gold or the minas of silver, and you read the stories, and you're always upset with that one guy who is afraid and he wraps it up in a napkin and buries it. It's like, what's the guy doing? And yet how many of us do the exact same thing spiritually? We have this incredible entrustment of grace and yet we don't know what to do with it, and so we sort of panic with it and we bury it, as opposed to exercising. But exercising it is dangerous. And as we've been talking about this past week, as far as the boldness, you have someone in your life that needs to hear about Jesus and the Spirit of God is nudging you. Well, what's he saying? He's saying, right now, here's where I want you to invest it. You're like, oh God, wait a minute here. I, I, no, not now, not now. You see, we oftentimes will take the opportunities we have to invest 
and we will cower before them, just like the person that was fearful and wrapped it up in a napkin and buried it. In other words, the opportunities for growth are usually found in difficulty. They're found in rejoicing when you don't feel like rejoicing, in loving when something is very unlovely, in being patient when being patient would give them the sense that they could keep doing it like this. In other words, this is when the Christian is growing. They're growing not when it's easy, but when they need grace. And when you access that grace and you exercise that grace, you find that you grow stronger and stronger. When you misuse, you take those great moments for investment and you bury that grace and you say, no, you know, I'm going to lean on my own strength in this one and I'm just going to get upset and mad and I'm going to be selfish and I'm going to do what I want. Well, guess what? You stunt growth. But when you invest the little you have, because some of you might be complaining that you have too little. It's like, I have too little. Well, take the little you have and stop complaining about how, what size it is and start investing it because if you want more, that's how you get it. The daring investment. Grace can't sit idle on the pantry shelf. To keep it, you must exercise it. This is one of the concepts of the kingdom of heaven which is hard for us to understand. But that we've been entrusted with something and it's like manna that it is meant to be utilized that day. You've been given grace and ironically you've been given grace for today. It's not meant to just be stored up and stuck in a barn so you can use it 10 years from now. It's meant to be utilized today. So when you don't utilize the grace today, it's gone. And it does not mean you will not get grace for tomorrow. It just means you have grace today and you have been entrusted with it. It's very precious. I remember this one guy talking to me. I, I was out in Wisconsin and he was a youth pastor. And he was sitting across from me and he said, I've been... I think I asked him some kind of question like, what's God teaching you? And he goes, you want to know what God's teaching me? Life, breath. He's like, it's so precious. It's so precious that I have breath in my lungs right now, which means I'm able to talk with you. I'm able to be alive right now in a body and I can do things for God right now. But if I didn't have that breath, I would be dead and I would no longer have opportunity in this world. Just imagine how much someone, like a wealthy, wealthy man who had billions of dollars but is dead right now and has no more breath, how much he would be willing to give for even one more breath. But he can't buy it. It's too expensive. Breath is the most valuable thing in all of eternity. And he's already spent his. He's lost his. He had his opportunity. He doesn't have it anymore. And he can't buy it back even if he had all the wealth of the world. But I have it right now. Isn't that a fascinating statement? It's like, it's like that. It's saying that you have something right now, but you need to appreciate its value. You need to appreciate how significant it is that you have been given grace, that you have been chosen by the Almighty to be infilled with the Holy Spirit, to be given what you have. Most of us have a tendency to see what we don't have or the things in our life that are really bothering us as opposed to the things in our life that God has gifted us with so that we could live abundantly, triumphantly. So grace can't sit idle on the pantry shelf. To keep it, you must exercise it. Oh, Hudson made the message. Hudson and the foam sword. So Hudson was, uh, what, about four, three or four in this story. And he was entrusted with a foam sword. Uh, from Walgreens. 
and it was a very impressive uh, sword. And uh, so, and we were teaching him manhood, you know, of how chivalry and knights. Uh, and so he had this sword, and there was a little Harper who was two. And I walked through the living room, and there I saw Hudson with his sword <laughs> hitting Harper. And that was a very, very serious moment. Uh, and little Hudson was greeted with serious daddy. You know, there's different forms of daddy. This was very serious daddy. And I came up and I had a very firm grip on his shoulder. You ever had a firm grip from your dad on your shoulder? It was like, ah. And I said, buddy, you were given strength. You were given this weapon. And the reason a man is given strength and has the strength that he has, which is very, sometimes very, very strong, is so that he can protect with it, never to harm with it. If I ever see you harm with that sword, again, you will never use it again. And so it's that thing. You blow it with that strength that you've been given, you lose it. So that's how a good father is going to think. In other words, I'm going to entrust you with strength. But if you misuse this strength, hey, big deal, okay? And by the way, Hudson has done great with his foam sword ever since. <coughs> Meekness. Meekness is a great word for this. Now, meekness to most of us sounds like weakness. And it sounds like sheepishness. <laughs> sheepishness. It sounds, you know, sort of, you wouldn't want, if you had a choice between someone who was bold and someone who was meek, you'd say, I choose the bold one. You don't want someone who's meek. That just sounds weak. But meekness is a statement of tremendous strength. So let me give the definition for it. It's strength governed and made safe and pleasant to others. So have you ever seen someone who has a lot of strength but is very unpleasant and dangerous? Yeah, that, that's, that's not meekness. Meekness is something that otherwise could be harmful but is brought under harness. It is brought under control and made safe. Sort of like Aslan the lion. Okay, a, a lion is dangerous but Aslan is meek. So he's a meek lion. And as a result, though he has the power and the strength to tear things to pieces, he is safe in that sense. He is safe to all that trust him and love him. So it's strength governed and made safe and pleasant to others as a wild stallion broken to harness and brought under the will of the master horseman. So if you've ever seen The Man from Snowy River, that was my dad's like, favorite movie, and he's like, oh, I love Jim. Jim is formed into a man. And he's always excited, always talking about Jim and the high country and, and how a man needs to earn his right to the high country. So my dad would always talk about that, and then we'd watch it again, and he'd be crying. It was, he was always moved by that movie. And I, I mean, I like it too. But there were the wild Brombies. Uh, do you guys remember the wild Brombies? They're these wild Australian stallion horses. And uh, I mean, they were dangerous. I mean, they were trampling. His dad died because of the Brombies. Uh, Jim was trampled under the Brombies. And these are dangerous things. This is like all of us that have been given strength. We've been entrusted with something, but we can misuse it. And the picture of meekness, even if you visually understand the word, it is actually like that, broken to harness. So the stallion, when a stallion comes under the will of the master horseman, a stallion doesn't lose its beauty, its feistiness, its strength or its power. It just comes into agreement with the master horseman so that strength, that power, is able to now be used to bless instead of harm. The shepherd and his rod. So as a man, there was a certain point in my development when God entered in in a greater strength into my leadership, 
into my life, as I was giving my life to him, God increased within me. And I remember one time, and I, I think I've told you guys about the time Leslie prayed for me in the, uh, the studio, God make my man to pray like a man. And about 15 to 30 seconds later, a greater strength entered into my soul than I had ever had before. And the next time I spoke, I preached. I'd never even heard preaching all growing up. Didn't even know what preaching sounded like. Teaching, you know, it was good, stable, conservative teaching environments that I grew up in. Now suddenly I had so much force inside of me that it came blasting out and scared people. It's like, what is going on with Eric? I, I, I don't know. Sorry, guys. I don't know what this is, but it's like a volcano inside of me. So I was given, and I'm going to liken this to a rod. A shepherd is given a rod, which is a symbol of all sorts of things. We've, I taught you canon, for those of you that are students. And a rod is a symbol of authority. It's a symbol of correction. There's all sorts of things that a rod is. But I was like given this rod of authority. I have a greater authority, but a shepherd is meant to use that rod to protect, not to harm his sheep. So what... That rod is supposed to comfort his sheep. Why? Because it like taps their fluffy backside to make sure that they're staying on the straight and narrow path. They start to wander a little to the right. No, no, little sheepy. Oh, no, no, little sheepy. So it gives a little, you know, a little pat on the back. It's not meant to go, no, no, little sheepy, whack. That isn't what it's for. However, it is used against wolves. Wolves start coming in and they see the shepherd's rod and they tremble. So a shepherd is entrusted with strength. But that shepherd needs to learn to utilize that strength to protect, not to harm. So we as shepherds, you know, those of us as men, as we increase in strength, we need to recognize that the reason we are entrusted with this strength is so that we could use it to protect and not to harm. But we also need to, with that same rod, comfort the sheep. And so it's like a very unique skill that most of us as men just were never taught in. Uh, <clears throat> the shepherding debate. Should a good shepherd actually run after a lion or a bear if they, are, if they stole, steal from, uh, the, from his flock? Uh, this is all the ancient debate over if it's wise to leave your 99 and go after the one. Isn't it interesting that Jesus himself says, look, I'm the good shepherd. I will go, out, go after the one. This is exactly what David did. So Jesus is a shepherd in the pattern of David, which is audacious is what that's saying. In other words, here you have your 99 over here, which you're responsible for protecting, but one of them gets taken. It shows the value of the one and that you're willing to risk your life. You know how crazy it is to go after a lion with food in his mouth? Or how about a bear with food in his mouth? I mean, our moms teach us not to mess with a dog with food in its mouth let alone a lion or a bear. And yet, the good shepherd is willing to lay down his life for his sheep. And so this is a proper use of strength. You, uh, the shepherd has been given strength, but how does he wield it? He wields it unto self-sacrifice. And it came to pass when the Philistine arose, remember the Philistine, Goliath, pff, boo, and came and drew near to meet David, that David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. So this word for hasted is mahar in the Hebrew, and it actually means to sprint, to move with liquid ferocity as a lion towards his prey. So could you imagine? A, a giant approaches his sheep pen. Well, who's David, what's David's sheep pen here? The nation of Israel. See, he's a shepherd. And he's proven that he's a shepherd, 
And he went after a lion. He went after a bear. Now he's going after a Goliath. And that Goliath encroaches upon his sheep and desires to steal the glory from his God. And so he rises up and he says, is there not a cause? And what does he do? He doesn't sheepishly approach the situation. He mahars, if you want to say it that way. He sprints towards Goliath. You know how crazy that is? He sprints towards him. Doesn't he realize that he doesn't have a sword in his hand? What if he misses with his sling? <laughs> He's going to be right in his belly, uh, and, he, in, and Goliath's going to be like, ha, 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 ha. It was a bad moment. Bold shepherding. First the lion, then the bear, then. See, what David is doing with his rod, he is given authority. He's given the Holy Spirit. What is he doing? He's exercising. So as a result, he exercises on a lion. He exercises on a bear. Well, for most of us, we don't have a nation to rule. In fact, many of us don't even have a family to rule. What we have is our own thought life. We have our own emotions. We have our own time and schedule. In other words, we have something. We have a sheep pen, but it doesn't seem very noble and grand. And as a result, we have a tendency to be rather lax with it. David could have thought the same. It's like, what's the good? I'm anointed king of Israel. I have this great calling, this great future, but this is nothing. Why am I here tending to sheep? And yet when he tended to those sheep, well, as a true, as a man anointed by the Holy Spirit would, what he's doing is he's being prepared, first with the lion, then with the bear, then he's ready to go onto a public stage and take on the greatest warrior in his generation. You see, you are being prepared if you wield that which you've been entrusted today. So when you take that which you've been given today and begin to exercise it the way a good shepherd or a shepherdess ought, you will find that you will be prepared and made ready for that great day where you are moved into a greater position of influence in this generation. The secret of a shepherd, wielding strength for the sheep and never against them. Now that's sort of obvious. You know, of course, if you have strength as a shepherd, why would you ever wield it against your sheep? And yet you know how many husbands, you know how many fathers have wielded their strength against their sheep instead of for their sheep? It's a very easy problem to step into. You know how many pastors have wielded their strength against their sheep to actually protect and preserve their, their position instead of laying down their life for their sheep? So as a secret of a shepherd, see this isn't just for men either. All of us have a shepherdly role. We are all called to behave in a certain way with the strength and the grace that we've been given. But we need to be selfless with it as opposed to selfish. Daddy wrestling with the kiddos. So we don't wrestle as much as we used to. Maybe we need to get back into that. But my kids are getting bigger and bigger. I don't even know what it would be like if Hudson like jumped on my back uh, now. Uh, but back in the day, it would, it would be like the swarm of Ludi kids. And I would be uh, they're on you know, all fours in a wrestling position, and they just like swarm around like ants you know, all over me, and I'm like swinging them through, tickling them, throwing them off to the side. But everything I'm doing is measured. In other words, I have strength, and I could crush them. Even falling just with my body weight on them could hurt them. And so here's Daddy with far more strength than all my kids combined, right? And yet I'm utilizing it to 
I mean, literally create enjoyment for my kids as opposed to harm. So the fact that my kids would even trust me to wrestle with me, I mean, who, what kid is dumb enough to wrestle with someone so much bigger than them and so much stronger than them? Unless they know that that one wrestling with them is inclined towards their benefit and is inclined towards their health, right? And so as a result, you learn as a father how to control your body weight so it never falls on your kids, how to hold them in just the right way to make them feel like they're trapped and then tickle them when they're, when they're trapped and they're like, oh, no, I haven't. And then you let them sneak away. And that's all part of the art of daddy wrestling, right? It's different than, uh, what, WWF worldwide? Uh, what, what is that? I haven't watched that in years. You know, the, I always called it fake wrestling, but some people get offended at that. They think it's real. Uh, <coughs> Remembering my first steps into strength, poor Leslie. So I start, I have this increase of strength in my life, this increase of oomph, this, this lava uh, that is just like exploding in my soul. And I didn't quite know how to handle it because no one ever taught me about it. I mean, most of what I've had to learn in my masculinity, in my leadership has come sort of the hard way. Like I've had to mess it up a little and then have Leslie say like, you know what, I really appreciate the fact that you have so much newfound strength for the gospel. I feel like I'm being uh, tread underneath in this, this strength because I would be so intense. Like if she said I, she's feeling anxious about something, no, we will not have anxiety in this home. And by the way, you have to admit, that's, that's some good protection right there. And Leslie's like, ha! So, I mean, I, she had never heard me speak with such strength and such authority. It's like, I'm going to wipe out anxiety in the Ludi home. And in the process, I'm wiping out Leslie. And so, to know how to fight for Leslie against anxiety and to protect her instead of to hit her. And to say, how dare you have a fearful thought in this home? You are only a conduit allowing the enemy in. You know, that type of a thing which doesn't actually breed intimacy and closeness with your spouse. And so I had to learn how to handle this shepherd's rod to hit wolves instead of to hit my wife. And that has been a, a dexterity that all of us, I've recognized, have to learn because God wants to increase in strength and authority in every single one of us, but we need to know the difference between hitting the enemy and hitting a human. Understand the paradox of virtue. I mean, just look at this. The courteous Christian is told to not resist evil, be anxious for nothing, be merciful and peace-loving, be gentle, edifying, and life-giving, and love as Christ loved. So as a shepherd, this is how you're supposed to treat your sheep. You're the courteous Christian. And then yet there's another side to being a Christian. And so this is where the rod comes in. In other words, you're given authority and you're given this rod, but with that rod, you need to comfort sheep, but then club and clobber the wolves. So listen to what it says. Resist the devil. Be anxious for the things of the Lord. Be belligerent and pugnacious against the forces of hell. Tread down all enemy power and rip down their strongholds. Hate that which Christ hated. Isn't that interesting, the difference between these two lists? Do not resist evil. Be anxious for nothing. Be merciful and peace-loving. Be gentle, edifying, and life-giving. Love as Christ loved. And then we're like, resist the devil. Be anxious for the things of the Lord. Be belligerent and pugnacious against the forces of hell. Tread down all enemy power and rip down their strongholds. Hate that which Christ hated. In other words, there's two dimensions of life. You are given grace 
to know how to engage in this life. You've been entrusted with something. The Holy Spirit has come upon you, has given you a position of influence and strength. But how you handle that trust is going to define the outflow of your life and if you're going to receive more or if you're going to lose what you have. And so when you're given grace, what should you do? You should exercise it. But when you exercise that new strength, make sure you remember God's pattern for how you handle a rod, how you handle the strength that you've been given to know how to wield it to protect, to comfort, and to give life to sheep, and know how you've been given it to club and to clobber the forces of evil. So the model shepherd, he must know how to comfort and protect the sheep. So he shows love always towards sheep, both lost ones and found ones. In other words, you don't just love the found sheep, you also love the lost ones. And he shows warlike pugnacity. I really like the word pugnacity, by the way, so that's why I get to stick that word in there. He shows warlike pugnacity always towards the spiritual lions, bears, and wolves intent on destroying his sheepfold. So, of course, this is the power uh, of a shepherd. This is the position of a shepherd. This is how David lived his life. This is, the, the fact that he is a shepherd king is extremely interesting because, remember, a shepherd is the lowliest position in Israel. It's the lowliest position. In other countries, it was so low that it, it was considered like dirt uh, on, the, on the toes or between the toes. It's, it's lint uh, in the belly button. It's like this is disgusting to be thrown off to the side. This is, this is the lowest possible position. And David comes from this position. And what, what does Jesus say? I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. They're both kings, but they behave as good shepherds. And there's something about being willing to be low, to be, be, being willing to be lowly in our behavior and to lay down our life for our sheep, to be willing to be considered small in our exercise of small little things that we're given. We're given little at first. Are we willing to exercise it? Most of us forfeit this season of our life as far as exercising the grace that we've been given because we're waiting for something bigger to exercise it in. Sort of like when I get into the concentration camp, then I'll behave like Betsy Tenboom. As opposed to behaving like Betsy Tenboom right now in your own soul or with your roommates here at Ellerslie. In other words, this is where we exercise the grace and then as we do, it increases. Father, I ask that you would Show us opportunities today that we can exercise that which we've been entrusted. And Lord, that this grace that we've been given by your Holy Spirit would be utilized more efficiently and effectively in our lives and that we would see an increase of it. Where we have a little faith, I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would put it all in you. Where we have a little love, I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would pour it out on those around us. Where we have a little peace, a little joy, a little patience, I pray that we would utilize it. We would invest it. We would leap for joy today. That we would exercise that which we have been given instead of complaining about that which we don't yet have. Lord Jesus, I ask that you would develop us into mighty men and women of grace. It's in the precious name we pray. Amen. Daily Thunder is a production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training and the Bravehearted Media Group. 
At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and see it once again gain the stride of the Spirit emboldened and brave. The Daily Thunder video stream can be watched live daily at 8.15 a.m. Mountain Time, Monday through Saturday, and 7.15 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. Please consider booking a stopover at the lovely Ellerslie campus at the foot of the majestic Rocky Mountains for one day, one week, one semester, or for an entire season. We hope to see you someday soon, live and in person. Thanks for listening.